Hello, and welcome to the Communication Toolkit Podcast, brought to you by the Training and Technical Assistance Center at Virginia Tech, where our mission is to improve educational opportunities and contribute to the success of children and youth with disabilities. We're your hosts, Christy, Kathleen, and Holly. This is the show for SLPs, where we discuss hot topics related to speech, language, and communication. Our first series is called Let's Talk AAC. And of course, by AAC, we mean Augmentative and Alternative Communication. Thanks so much for joining us today. We have the privilege of speaking with Caroline Gaddy from Toby, Toby Dynavox on today's episode. And we are so excited. We talked a couple of weeks ago about um, how we were going to have her on to talk about her experience. And she is so knowledgeable about the subject of Gestalt language processing. And we're just really excited to hear from her today. So we're going to jump right in. Um, so Caroline, thank you so much, first of all, for being here today. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Holly, thanks so much for having me. Um, I am I am autistic. I am a speech language pathologist. I was an actor before that. I am, uh, and I was a teacher as well before that, even more importantly. Um, and um, I discovered, I think as most of us, because I didn't hear about Gestalt language processing in grad school, I didn't know anything about it. I discovered that was me, you know, far late in life. Um, and have after raising two little Gestalt language processors, it's still in the process of raising them. And um, and uh, it, you know, w once I found out about it, it made so much more sense. So that's kind of a little bit about how I relate to Gestalt language processing. But I'm an SLP. I am also a neurodiversity educator and disability advocate within our field. And I am an AAC specialist and I am a learning consultant with Toby Nidavox. That that's a lot right there. And, <laughs> you know, again, just why we're so honored to be speaking with you today, because you have um, you have such an insight on this topic. And, um, I, you know, I'm just, you know, um, really thrilled that you would take time out of your busy schedule to talk with us today. On our previous episode, we spent a little bit of time talking about the definition of this type of language learning style, and we shared some of our personal experience. You've talked a little bit about how this topic came about for you and just, you know, discovering personally that this was your learning style, mm -hmm. um, and you've been able to experience that through, through the lens of a parent um, as well. So yeah. um, in the field right now through, through Toby Dynavox, um, we're, we're noticing, you know, in our school divisions that this is a topic that we're seeing more and more of. Um, yeah. I'm thinking, are you all working with um, an influx in the number of clients? It's definitely coming. I think it's a, it's a, it's a hot topic right now in the field. People are talking about it. And I think that, you know, as I said, so many of us, you know, Holly, our scope of practice is massive. So there's so much you can miss in grad school, even in the field. Like, oh, huh, I've never worked with this. What do I do now? And I think now this has really been, particularly because of the push for more neurodiversity affirming support, there's been a lot more conversation about Gestalt language processing, even though a lot of this research and a lot of discussion about it is 
you know, old. It started in the 80s. It's it's having a bit of a renaissance. And I think so much of it has to do with people wanting to connect with their students, their clients, whatever way is going to work and support them and support their way of learning. So I have absolutely seen um a massive increase in conversation about it. Uh, definitely, we definitely have a lot of questions on the learning team. And before I worked on the learning team, I was a solutions consultant in this area, Holly. So that's why yeah. we got to hang out so much. Lucky me. Absolutely. But, um, but I definitely started getting a whole lot more questions about it and uh, and people wanting to know what do I do now? What does this mean? How do I need to reconsider this? It's It's definitely a much more active conversation right now, which is actually really nice to see because you can't grow and develop unless you're talking about it, you know? Absolutely. And you know what, what we are discovering too, like you said, there's so much within our field. I feel like if you haven't um, had experience working with a Gestalt language processor, then you don't know what you don't know, you know? Absolutely. And, and, you know, um, there is so much out there when you go start to Google these topics, you know, what's good information, what should, what, what should I be attending? Where can I go for good information? Yeah, for sure. It's, and I think it's like so many things, um, there is a lot of information and, um, and, and I'm sure it's always shared with good intention, but it's not always rooted in in the research that we do have available it's not always rooted in um you know what is maybe uh the lived experience from within the community itself you know and i think that there are um many of us who really do try to do that and i like i say it's not poor intentions or anything people are trying to share good information but i think it can be a tricky area because um I talk about this. I did. I do have a webinar that is up on Toby Dynavox Learning Hub that is that I talk about Gestalt language processing and supporting Gestalt language processors within TD Snap. But pro tip: I won't be mad if you use it with other software. Nobody gets in trouble. There's no police about these things. <laughs> but but like, you know, um, I think that we. We have research, we have such a good body of research to to help us understand how we can best support AAC users. And we do have research about Gestalt language processing. We have a a, fair amount around echolalia and we can take those things. We can take what we know. We can be firmly rooted in that. We can be firmly rooted in our clinical expertise and our clinical experience and firmly rooted in listening to communities themselves and take that information and synthesize it and come out with something. But I think that when we lose sight of any of those things in that kind of EBP triangle, we can get ourselves a little bit off kilter. And I think it's important always to recognize that you don't know what you don't know and to not state something definitively that can't be definitive yet. Yes. Uh, so many good points that you made in that. And, and I wanted to say first, um, just mentioning your webinar, I've watched that webinar. Um, I've attended the live session and it is it is a wonderful resource to learn more about this topic. Um, and we're going to drop that in our show notes 
um, to share with folks <laughs> after today as well. I would definitely really recommend um, folks watching that because it is it's a great um, you know speaking about what information is good and and what's um, research based out there. That is definitely a good one to go to to get more information. And you know the other thing that you were talking about is is you know not um, not relying on old information and, and being willing to continue to learn, um, especially about a topic that might not be within your wheelhouse. You know, um, traditionally, I think when we worked with our students, particularly with ASD, and we would see echolalia present, the first you know line of defense was, oh, we need to eradicate that. You know, and. Now I look at that and if I see some of that echolalia or that scripting presence present, then I start to think, well, wait a minute, you know, could this be a Gestalt language processor? And if so, we can use that, you know, we can use that. And it's just a different way of looking at how we teach language. We might not be starting with single words. We might start with that whole chunk and then figure out how to break that down and teach. So it's a little bit Absolutely. different way of looking at things. It is, it is. And I think that um, this is a conversation that happens a lot um, within the autistic community and particularly within activists is, you know, um, that um, communication, you know, um, all behavior is communication versus no, it's not. Sometimes we have dyspraxia or we don't always have control over our bodies and, and you know, we can't think about everything is having a communication. And I kind of fall in the middle of those things in the sense that I think that some things are kind of always communicating something, but it may not be what you think it's communicating. And that's kind of where echolalia and gestalts come in. You know, yeah. I um, think that we have, we, it, we, you don't know what you don't know and you can't do better unless you recognize places where we have we haven't always done maybe as well as we would like. And that happens. Those are those are just truths of human existence. That's truth of a profession. And if we when we acknowledge that, then I think we can really have these great opportunities to grow. We do come from a history where we said, oh, this is we need to get rid of this. This is bad. This isn't functional. You know, this isn't doing something. And yet what we really see is oh, it's it's very functional. This is something people use to kind of placehold to as they're processing information using that working memory. You know, this is something that people may use um, to repeat, to understand literally the information. It is something that may just delight us and tickle our fancy. And we may want to say it a lot because it brings us joy, you know, Maybe something that is really trying to communicate something like I may have translated this emotion from this thing and now I am directly trying to communicate it. Or it could be something else I'm not thinking of right here in this moment. But if we if we listen from a different point of view, instead of thinking, oh, this is nonsense, get curious and and presume competence. Mm -hmm. you know, hmm, well, what you saying here to me? their friend. I don't know what that means. Okay. Hmm. You know, think about it. Could it, could we be telling me something? And I really believe also in, the, in the value of, um, I remember in grad school, actually, we were, we was really, really hammered into us, you know, like 
to be honest, like to not say that somebody was intelligible, if they weren't intelligible, to make sure that like you made the errors known or something. But but I had a professor who was like, no, no, never on the intake. On the intake, the kid is talking to you. If there's a two-year-old who's saying, you just nod and like, yes, of course. Uh-huh. Right? Because the idea is establishing the relationship that what they have to say matters and you're receiving it and you're listening and you care. Well, why would we ever want to change that idea? You know? Right. Like, and so if somebody is scripting something at me, my instinctual response is kind of always to affirm it and be like, oh, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Right. And I think genuinely, accidentally, I became very good at working with Gestalt language processors because I was working in a way that I didn't know, like that was just kind of intuitive to my own style of learning, to my own way of parenting my own kids. And then as I developed and learned more within my profession, that I could strengthen my tools and understand kind of how to support myself to not just my instincts, but support it through um, through through research, but also through other bits of clinical evidence that other practitioners had. But that's where it starts. So like you said, the relationship. So acknowledging Yes, I hear you communicate. Yes. You know, I, I think I hear you are some of the most powerful words we can ever say in the English language as, absolutely. or any I language. Hear you, I see you. <laughs> I hear yeah, you and right? I see you. I think it's such a big, big deal, even when we don't, you know, even when it's like, hey, I know, I get I may be wrong, you know, yeah. like, okay, whew, it looks like you're really upset. Are you upset? Even if we're asking the question and they can't answer it, but you can be acknowledging, hey, this seems like something's off to me and I care and I'm here and I'm listening. So I, I, I genuinely believe I hear you are the three most powerful tools any of us should have in our clinician toolbox. Absolutely. I love that. Um, it definitely starts with the relationships. And then, like you said, you can you can get in there and then start to apply some of the, the research-based techniques and, and go from there. Um, so, you know, for the listeners today who, um, may be hearing this and they're thinking, you know what, based on what they said, I feel like I may have someone on my caseload who mm -hmm. be, um, a Gestalt language processor. What would you tell them? What, you know, we talked about this a little bit last time, but from your experience, um, what are things to look for or how can you determine, especially if kids are nonverbal, because that's when it's really tough. It that is very, very tricky. And I think that when somebody is non-speaking, we do have to always acknowledge, like, we're doing our kind of clinical best. So I always think of things as like on the table and off the table. Like, I'm not here necessarily going to, it's a differential diagnosis. I'm, I'm kind of narrowing the field. I'm thinking things through. But I'm not saying, oh, no, absolutely not. Or, oh, absolutely, this is only it until I have more information. So, and when somebody's non-speaking and could be a Gestalt language processor, that is, as you say, Holly, like that can be tricky to tease okay. out. So it's more about putting it on the table and going, okay, I'm going to be considering this and doing some more probing to see if you could get yourself a clearer answer. One of the things that I always think about is rhythm. Am I seeing, do I see a lot of draw to rhythm? And I don't just mean rhythm like music, but rhythm like cadence prosody do I hear them doing gibberish kind of you know but 
or jargon, but it has, it preserves the intonation mm. so that maybe they can't articulate it, but I hear them kind of going like, what is it? Oh, and that's just how the teacher always says that, you know, like, can right. I pick up the rhythm of something that they're saying? I may also look at body movements. Do they do similar body movements? The, uh, particularly, are they repeating them something else that they saw? They saw the teacher maybe make a bit, or me, it's often me. I'm very expressive. Those <laughs> of you cannot see me on this podcast, I'm very expressive. Holly can attest. And so <laughs> I had a lot of, I had a lot of kids script me because I'm very entertaining like that. And so, you know, did I see somebody going like, if I always go, uh, this actually happened to me a lot. I would often say to a kid, like somebody would say something and I'd be like, okay. So I had a lot of, okay. <laughs> I'll be back at Yeah, me. that's a, that's a fun one. <laughs> but like, but even if they couldn't speak, were they making the face? Were they kind of going, ah! were they um, doing an action that I did? Were they doing that and doing an intonation, even if they didn't have the words to say it? Those are some things that I might look for. Um, and of course, none of these are going to be hard and fast because lots of kids could do these things, particularly autistic kids. If we are really um, pulled to a routine of doing something, of somebody has a diagnosis of OCD, they could be doing these things. I mean, like there's a lot of reasons these things could happen. So it's really more about putting it on the table and then probing some more. One thing that I often will do, especially if a um, kid has a difficulty transitioning, this is something I um, do a lot, even with my own children. Um, very common for those of us who are autistic, um, we may really not prefer and many of you who have worked with kids probably have realized have seen this like may not prefer to be sung at it is, may not be an entertaining thing like singing happy birthday to my children was like one of the you know it's a torture device let's not do that but so like if I just pick up a song to start singing at you or like morning circle that could be like no 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 too much cacophony too much sound too many voices this isn't right ah whereas if I get it I'm like ah we're going to do something. And I just make up like a weird rhythmic little thing that they could sing or do with me. That is usually great joy. So if I'm cooking something, I'm like, oh, I was doing this with my daughter the other day. Here we go. We're going to get the eggs. We're going to get the toast. We're going to get, the, you know, and so we're just doing this. Right. And then she jumps in. It's like, oh, we're going to get the eggs. We're going to get the toast. So it's rhythmic. It has a clear thing, right? So if I start doing things like that, particularly in transition times where maybe something is hard, it's like, mm, I've got to march my feet. I've got to go to class. I've got to walk down the hall, right? And I'm just like narrating what I'm doing it, but I'm doing it in that same cadence, that same rhythm. Does that help? Does that speak to them? Do I see them start to pick that up? Hmm, okay, maybe this is a little hint that we're starting to see more of that. If I see them trying to do things, does it seem like they're looking for just one word or does it seem like they're latching on to more like whole things? Mm -hmm. And maybe part of the difficulty is that they're trying to get the whole thing and their mouth can't get it all the way out. Those are just kind of, I know it's a lot and it's not, there isn't a really perfect answer, but those are some of the things that I consider and look at. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's really interesting. Those are some, some great tips um, to try. So um, I guess too, I would just, um, you know, kind of ask you um, as we're closing up here, if you had any key points that you wanted to share with folks. Mm. 
honestly, I think we hit on really one of my big ones is I hear you. I, I really just believe so much in affirming um, Marge Blanc, who is the creator of natural language acquisition and one of the primary researchers, one of the kind of matriarchs of gestalt language processing and 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 the pushing of understanding of this way of of being and existing. Um, I think that she always loves when I do, which is in the webinar, when I talk about my house analogy for building language, that she loves that analogy. And and one of the things that I think is so important about it is that when somebody is supported, they will develop language. Like, in a, a way to simplify this, particularly when we're in the sea of like, this is all new information. When I would work with a kid on R, if I had a student come in and we had R, first thing I would always do sit down and work with them and I would show them some videos COVID time of course I would have to show a video because I had a mask on but <laughs> if I could do it with my own mouth I would try to show that too to show them the differences between the two different ways we can make R and I would sit and we would sit together and kind of investigate which way do you think your tongue is trying to make R do you think your tongue tip is trying to go up or do you think it's trying to go back as the clinician I already had an instinct for it but I did this to get, help them get awareness but I also did it because I trust their body. I don't want to teach you to make one kind of R if your body's trying to make a different kind of R because I am going to make that now harder for you. Like, I don't want to do that. In the same kind of way about Gestalt language processing. If they're trying to learn language this way, I don't want to get in the way of that. I want to support you in learning language the way that you're going to learn it. That's the end goal, right? We want you to communicate. I want you to have language. That's such the a great same analogy. Yeah, I mean, it's like the same way we would do for an English language learner, the same way it would like we understanding what is a difference and what is something that is a a disability that requires additional support or intervention. Mm -hmm. And and when we recognize something as a different and sometimes they're both right, we can be a difference and a disability. And this is one of those cases where, hey, this is a difference. But if we understand this disability, if we understand this difference, then we can support it much more effectively and I think that's really I think that's really the biggest thing and I think our field is really moving in the right direction of of presuming competence and of affirming people and affirming what somebody is telling you about mm -hmm. this is how I communicate or this is how I feel which is man how lucky are we like what a great honor to get to support people in expressing themselves what a privilege. Like how lucky are we that we get yeah, to one, do that? <laughs> one of one of the one of the greatest gifts uh of being alive is the ability to have a voice and communicate. And yeah, and I, I know it, it's rewarding to get to do this on a daily basis and, and work with the folks that we do. It it really is. And like I think that the more that we can come at it, and I know I really recognize and I just want to give honor and space for the fact that it's hard. I I know we get into IEP season and it is busy and your workload is high and your caseload is high and it is like what I do not have time to go to the bathroom like I get that but I also know we all go into this because we want to do the best mm -hmm. for the people that we are working for and I think that when we recognize coming back to what we were saying earlier you know we recognize okay we know better and we do better now we can start to recognize this so that means we can pull more tools from our toolbox and we can try Absolutely 
you know, some different things. I'm big on always saying like, throw some spaghetti at the wall and see if it sticks. Like just, you know, try it out. See if it works. Does it work? Great. This gives you some information and we can try and go into this direction. But if it doesn't work, then that could give you information too and help you know like, oh. Yeah, the 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 dreaded four-letter word, data, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. We got to get it somehow. And I think that we can get so, you know, um, in the schools, you know, we, we and, and it, with insurance, you know, because of, of like requirements that insurance may have, because of IEPs and feeling a pressure to meet a certain goal, that sometimes it can be, it can be stressful for us to, to take that time to try and fight, to, to deduce, to try and find those things out. Cause it takes time. It does. And I like, I hold space for that. I honor the fact that that is part of our existence as SLPs, but I really do believe we can do it. And I believe that there are accessible tools that we can use in the schools, in busy clinics, and we can start to find those things. Simple things like singing a marching song. Is it taken off? Is it not? Are they trying to say a whole thing that I'm saying? Like, these are little cues that can help you start to kind of decide, oh, is this staying on the table or am I taking it off the you table? Put the pieces together, right? Exactly. To figure out the whole and yeah. Exactly. So speaking about, um, you know, collecting information and starting to put the pieces together, um, obviously the Toby Donovox Learning Hub is, is a great place to go for a wide range uh, of topics, not just, not just, I like on, it. <laughs> not just on this subject today. We use it very frequently. Um, so we appreciate our partnership with you all there. Um, do you have other go-to resources or um, any, you know, like if a, if a teacher says, yeah, I definitely have a kid that, that I think um, I need to explore this with, where would you say would be a good starting point for them or somewhere to go to start teaching language uh, with this approach? That's a very, very good question. Um, I do agree with you. I, of course, am very fond of our learning hub. I think that it does have really great resources on it. Another place is that there are, I, I always going to recommend go to the community itself, you know, listen to um autistic adults, listen to the people who are who are Gestalt language processors and talking about this experience and, and how we have experienced learning and developing language, uh, particularly if somebody is um, an AAC user and able to express that, that's incredibly valuable information. But um, I also am always going to recommend Marge, um, her book is on Northern um, Speech Services, and she has courses there as well that I think are really helpful for understanding and kind of wrapping your head around this as well. I mostly recommend her because it's it's going to kind of the source, you know. Um, but there are other really great. Um, well, let me. I have to check, Holly. I want to tell you the right name, and because it's a Monday and because my brain is my brain, sometimes I get things all turned around. Um, uh, but a good friend of mine who also works with Marge is um, Amanda Blackwell, and she has a really great um, course that she actually does for, for bilingual, which is really helpful. Okay. Um, and particularly for those of us, um, you know, particularly in certain parts of our state, that's comes up a whole, 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 whole lot. Um, and 
she has um a page on Instagram and they have a a website as well. They just started doing courses on Gestalt language processing and particularly looking at that through bilingual lens. Um, and that's Communicación Natural. But um, they have really, really, really nice, helpful content. Of course, Meaningful Speech is one that people will refer to a lot. I think that she has some helpful content on Instagram. But I encourage anybody that anything you are looking at, always look at with maintaining your clinical lens with maintaining your kind of gut check if you know we don't there isn't a lot of definitive information a and b everybody is an individual and so individual things are going to vary i think that can be a really tricky thing about gestalt language processing it's not just like let me teach you this verb and now you have it like we have to find the things that have meaning and that includes not me just being able to give you something that has meaning. It has to mean something. So it is very individualized. So I think it's like, it's really important any taking in any of these materials and looking at any of these things that we want to consider kind of, I, I think it's really just keeping an open mind and mm -hmm. always like, I'm just a big fan of always having tools in the toolbox and, and not necessarily considering, Oh, it has to be this rigid rule it could just be here's another tool for my toolbox i will add too i um was lucky enough that i got to um, be a co-editor for a recent neurodiversity issue for um language for the asha journal for um, language and school age children and we were able to have an article in there so the first peer-reviewed article about gestalt language processing appeared in that edition so you can get that on ASHA. Um, I also have an article about being neurodiversity affirming. My dear friend and colleague Hillary Crow and I co-wrote that. But uh, every article in that edition, I honestly think is amazing. So there's a really great AAC one too. So that's awesome. I didn't know about that. So can highly recommend hot <laughs> off the press. Yeah, yeah we'll definitely just, check that out. Just came out. Just I think it hit in like November or December. So it's just been in the last couple of months, but. Um, but yes, and that article um, from Marge and Amanda and Paulina is really, really excellent. And I think I listed all of the authors. I'm pretty sure. I'm really sorry. I just say out loud. I'm sorry if I forgot you. It's not you. It's me. That's <laughs> my brain. Well, we, we just appreciate so much you sharing all of this with us today. You've given us so much good information, um, things to consider, um, some resources that we can go back and take a look at. And um, we will, of course, drop links um, to the things that you mentioned in our show notes, because um, I'm looking forward as well to going back and checking out some of these things and definitely oh, absolutely. to reading your article in the ASHA Journal, which is awesome. Um, but thank you so much for joining us here today. If you guys don't already um, subscribe or um, have an account on the Toby Dynavox Learning Hub, I would really encourage you to do that. There's great information to support all of our language learners, not just those um, that are Gestalt language learners and not just those that use Toby Dynavox devices. Um, it's really just a wealth of information supporting all of our AAC users. And um, Caroline, we just can't thank you enough. Thank you so much, Holly. I'm very delighted, always delighted when I get a chance to spend more time with you all. You know, I love the great work that you all do.
Well, that's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, we hope that our discussion has given you something to add to your communication toolkit. Don't forget to check out the new resources under the AAC tab on TTAC Online for more in-depth information. And check out our show notes for this episode for resources about the materials discussed today. If you haven't already signed up for our TTAC mailing list, please do so. And don't forget to follow us on social media for updates and announcements. Join us next time on Communication Toolkit.